Blog Talk Radio. We are the Bride Radio as the voice of the true Bride of Christ. bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army in the kingdom we recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and the powers of the air we are a ministry of prayer and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe we provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATB disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are the Bride Ministry, We Are the Bride Radio, or We Are the Bride Television. Thank you. Good evening, Bride. Good evening. This is your host, Dr. June Knight. Coming to you all the way from Washington, D.C. Listen, I'm so excited tonight to interview this author, James Sanderson. How are you doing tonight, Mr. James? I'm doing great. Happy Labor Day. Yes, happy Labor Day to you. Uh, I would like to read a little bit of your bio before we get started, sir. He says, I've been a writer nearly my entire life. Even at age 12, I was writing short stories, though I'm sure they would seem embarrassingly childish now. I always, let's say at times it seemed the only way I could express myself. I always read great literature as well. My friends made fun of me when I brought a large book with me to ball practice. In fact, I read everything I could get my hands on. From adventure novels to the latest articles in Field and Stream or outdoor magazines. Growing up in Michigan, I was a big fan of Hemingway. But I read Dickens and Pearl Buck and Conrad and Willa Willa Cather and later Tolstoy. I don't even know how to pronounce (laughs) it. My love for books has not diminished with age. I've written a short work of nonfiction called To Love about the Christian love ethic and a collection of short stories, Sacred Are the Brave, about the nonviolent revolutions of the 1980s, available on Amazon Kindle. I wanted to write a novel that would express everything I know about writing and faith in the church, especially the New Testament church. I hit upon a time in the near future when believers would face many trials from an authoritarian government an official church and the wreckage of an apocalyptic event in this case nuclear war 
How would our faith hold up in such a time? My wife and I have been in a unique ministry for 30 years, and all that time we have ministered to the poor, the disenfranchised, the homeless, and the addicted. Ours has not been a normal experience of church. Out of that experience, then, has grown my latest novel, Those Who Dwell Upon the Earth. It is available now in Kindle and trade paperback. A Reader's Guide is also available upon Kindle. An audio version will be available soon as well. For more information about his work, please go to jamesdsanderson.blogspot.com. Well, sir, it's such an honor to have you with us tonight. Tell us where do you live right now and tell us a little bit about you and, and give us the inside scoop. Okay, great. Well, that's a great introduction. Thank you for that. Uh, we live, uh, my wife and I live in uh, southwest Colorado now, and uh, we continue in ministry uh, here. But it's been a long, uh, a long trying time, I guess I'd say, uh, working with the homeless and poor and so on uh, for all this, all this time. <clears throat> so y'all live in Colorado right now? Yes, we do. And I grew up uh, in Michigan, as you had mentioned. Uh, I was uh, kind of middle America, as middle America as you can be, and, you know, middle class, Midwest uh, upbringing. In fact, if you watch that movie, uh, A Christmas Story, uh, that pretty much depicts the way I grew up right there. I think uh, I was a few years later than that. But, uh, you know, Ralphie and just all the things they went through in that movie were almost exactly the way I saw things as I was growing up. Yeah. Well, was you raised in a small family or a, a big family? Well, I had three brothers, so it's kind of a medium-sized family, but it was a, a small town we grew up in and uh, kind of have uh, stuck with a small town ever since. Yeah. Well... Talk to us about your first book about love. What is the general picture of that book? Well, uh, that kind of set the stage for everything else that we've learned along the way. Uh, Call to Love is the name of the book. And it, it begins with, you know, God's greatest commandment to love God and love our neighbors and in Matthew 22 and 37 to 39. And the Sermon on the Mount and the, uh, you know, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, First John, First John four eight says God is love. Uh, it begins to set the stage for um, just a complete love ethic. You know that um, we we had to begin to question what exactly is love and how do we show that in the world around us. So that really kind of set our feet on the uh, the road to missions. So you know we weren't. Uh, uh, seminary trained or anything, but we just saw a huge need among the homeless um, and and the poor that just wasn't being uh, filled. Uh, a lot of people just didn't feel comfortable going in, you know, a regular church setting, and so we, you know, we started going out to where the people were and and bringing that message of love, and it really made uh, a lot of difference uh, to the people that we ministered to. Yeah, and this is the book on the one called Called to Love, right? Called to Love. That was my first book, yes. Uh, 
nonfiction, of course. But then, uh, as we went along, we began to uh, embrace the the way of Christian nonviolence, uh, which we realized that uh, striking back, uh, you know, especially in in uh, kind of the violent communities of uh, of homelessness and and poverty and addictions, uh, really was kind of counterproductive. And it led me to start really, you know, delving into the ideas of nonviolence, uh, especially as applies to Christianity. And that led to my second book, uh, Sacred Are the Brave, is a series of uh, short stories, mainly about the nonviolent revolutions that they had in Eastern Europe in uh, 1989 and, and around that time. And uh, these were all successful revolutions uh, fought completely without uh, weapons, uh, just with the power of prayer and uh, the people gathering together and and uh, just saying no to, uh, you know, dictatorships and authoritarian governments and, uh, and, you know, making all the difference in the world that way. I see it. I'm showing the pictures as you're talking of your different books. Okay, uh-huh. now let's get on to, I guess this is your newest book called those who dwell upon the earth. That's right. It's uh, as you said in the, in my introduction there that uh, it really kind of pulls together everything that we've learned about um, about our Christian walk, our faith, and our you know embracing the way of nonviolence. Uh, how that can actually play out in the world. Uh, and I wanted to put the characters into a real uh, tough situation. In this case, as you had read in the introduction, uh, in a post-apocalyptic kind of uh, setting, where there, uh, you know, there's an uh, uh, an official church in place, and this takes place in America, so it's a future America, Um, and a lot of people that write about, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic times take a a dystopian view of that where everything goes wrong and and nothing is right. And I think we Christians need to reexamine that storyline and and say, well, you know, times were tough in the early church as well, but they didn't just throw up their hands and do nothing. They, you know, they loved their neighbors. They helped uh, feed each other and, and, you know, take care of each other just as Jesus did. So uh, I think this gives a different uh, potential uh, outcome for the future of, uh, you know, hard times in the future. Well, how did you come up with the scenarios, though? <laughs> well, again, I just wanted to uh, to kind of take what we're seeing uh, now, um, especially uh, with, uh, you know, the possibility of, uh, you know, recession or even a depression, uh, and, and just taking that forward as to what that would look like. And, again, I think a lot of people have written books uh, along those lines, you know, future futuristic kind of novels, uh, but they've taken the, uh, you know, the negative view that, um, you know, when everything goes wrong, everyone will turn to weapons and, you know, it'll just be mass chaos. But I think for Christians, we need to be looking for a different solution. Um, one thing that my, my wife and I always ask people to examine is how do you fight evil without becoming evil yourself, you know? And uh, just automatically embracing the way of the world it does not seem to be a, a, a proper solution for, for Christians anyway. So this was a, 
was a way of, uh, you know, presenting a different different viewpoint or a different possible outcome uh, rather than just uh, darkness and chaos. Well, I can just hear some of the uh, listeners right now, and they're probably <laughs> saying, yeah, but what about in the scripture, you know, uh, where it says that we are to take care of our house and, you know, if they invade your house, they have to go through the strong man first. And, you know, basically <laughs> right. the, Christian, the Christian belief that we should defend our family. What do you say about that? I say absolutely, uh, but I think we have a different frame of reference there. When you're talking about Mark chapter 3, binding the strong man, it says we cannot plunder the strong man's house without first binding the strong man. Uh, how do we go about binding the strong man if we're talking about that being a Satan or the ultimate evil? Uh, how do we go about binding the strong man? How did Jesus go about binding the strong man? I think we have to look very seriously at prayer and fasting and uh, those kind of uh, approaches to things. Uh, and then plundering the strong man's house, of course, is, uh, you know, the people that are held captive by Satan himself, whether they're through addictions or through... Uh, you know, just a multitude of sins that people may be living in, uh, how do we, uh, you know, prove that there's a different way without living that different way ourselves? And believe me, I've heard all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the counter-arguments and, uh, you know, all of the uh, other, other way of doing things. Uh, but, you know, we, we, you know, my wife and I both have been in real tight situations ourselves where we've confronted weapons and, and violence and, and um, what we've seen by not automatically uh, retaliating or striking back is a, a different solution to problems. And it, uh, you know, often we see what we would say is miracles. It's uh, it's solutions to problems that we would have never thought of ourselves. You see what I'm saying? So it it turns out differently. And when we see it turn out differently, we realize well we want to see more of that in the future. You know, uh, so it's. Yeah. Uh, more and more the way we have embraced. Now, uh, we can't speak for everyone or even, you know, even ask everyone to to embrace this way. But but I do, uh, you know, in, in writing this novel, I did hope to challenge other believers to at least examine the, the possibility that there is another way. So what you're saying is like, uh, okay, let's say we're in an apocalyptic event. And mm-hmm. it's the end of the world, and everything's collapsed, and uh, maybe the grid is down. Is this, is this what I'm understanding right, the same type of scenario? Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, again, we can have a discussion about the end-time scenario, uh, which is different from what we're presenting and what I'm presenting in the book here. Um, oh, this okay. Is a- this is a time when things get very, very difficult, but yet not yet in in the end times, you know. So, uh, oh, okay, yeah, that would be a different scenario. Yes, yes, that so, would be okay. I got you now. And so I think we can see that in history, even in more recent history, uh, in the in the time of the Nazis or the time of Stalin, Christians lived in very difficult times, and it still was not the end time, you know. Uh, so, yeah. how did how did they go about um, embracing their faith and living in those hard times? And this is very much the same kind of uh, question. Only, uh, as I said, just putting it into a future situation, 
which is, you know, like I say, not yet the end times. So. I got you. Uh, I'm looking through your website. You have had this up a long time. Oh yeah. I mean, this, uh, I see writings like back in 2012. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of what I have up right now, uh, starting with Call to Love, is is kind of updated version of stuff that I've been working on for a long time, and uh, just uh, you know took the initiative now or took the time now to go ahead and put it up and you know kind of finalize everything. And um, but we've been in, in ministry as as you pointed out almost 30 years, and and all of this. Oh wow! Been, okay. <laughs> All of this has been kind of a growing experience for us and, uh, you know, uh, kind of a perfecting period, um, you know, and and just, uh, you know, continues on. It's, it's you know, we're never uh, really perfect, but we uh, try to strive for that, you know, in our lives. Yeah. Well, uh, if you could talk to America today, uh, and give her some type of word of instruction, correction, or a word of encouragement to the American citizens about current day events, what would you say? <laughs> uh, I would say that we have to, I don't know how encouraging it is, I think we have to prepare for uh, difficult times ahead. Uh, and I would say, especially in the economic uh, situation, everything looks good right now, but I just feel like uh, that's about to change. And uh, I could go into a hundred reasons why, but um, just generally, what I would say for encouragement is that we don't have to go through it alone. We Christians have community already built through the church and uh, just getting to know each other. And you know, we we need to turn to each other, especially when times get difficult. Uh, we we Americans, of course, tend to be very individualistic and uh, you know, kind of uh, take matters into our own hands. Always have, uh, but in in very difficult times, I think we we need to uh, really turn toward the community aspect of the of the church and the body. Yeah. Well, that's true. When you talk about the economy, I know there's probably a lot of heads out there like, what? Uh, <laughs> because right now right now, it's been so strong. So do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Of course. Um, I think we live in a time where we're um, uh, pretty much worldwide. We have uh, just huge deficits, uh, huge uh, deficit spending going on and uh, rather than addressing the the real problem uh, we've become a, a very consumer oriented uh, society which means when we uh, you know when we import things that we want we're uh, we're paying we're, we're going into debt to do that and I don't think you have to look too far to see the national debt just ballooning into the tw- you know 20 some trillion dollars uh, and almost uh, trillion and a half, I think, every year, uh, going further and further into debt, and what that's doing is we're we're just printing money to uh, to meet that growing debt, uh, growing excuse me, growing debt demand, and uh, that will go against us at some point. And I always point out it's very much like if I was to, uh, you know, get a credit card and run it up 
and then go ahead and get a second credit card to pay off the first one and then run that one up, how long would it be before my personal finances would be in a shambles? And yet, uh, on a national level, um, people seem to think, well, we have an unlimited credit card that we can just run that thing up, you know, infinitely, and I just don't believe that. So at some point, as they say, those chickens are going to come home to roost, and I think we're going to see some serious inflation problems, and uh, it all comes from the printing of money that will make the money less and less, uh, make the dollar worth less, if not worthless. Uh, and so at that point, uh, we're going to uh, really have to start making some different choices. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's kind of where I stand on that. And I just see that uh, coming. We just, in the, you know, the last month, we've seen a complete inversion of the yield curve in the bond market where, uh, I'm sorry, were you saying something? And no, where, go ahead. I'm listening. Okay, where uh, you know what that means is that I could uh, borrow money uh, for uh, two months or a short, very short period of time, and actually make more interest rate than I would if I was to borrow money over ten years or thirty years. Uh, so you see the problem there. It gets to be uh, why would anybody invest in long-term, say, government treasuries or anything like that. Uh, there would just be no market to why, why would I do that? You know, why would anybody do that? Um, and so that's kind of the problems we're looking at right now. And, uh, of course, right now the stock market is sailing high, so no one pays much attention to some of these underlying problems, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. So. <laughs> right, I got you. Well, I wanted to ask you about something. I'm noticing here on your website where you write about nonviolence. Uh, I'm going to read this to your audience because I think they can understand better what you're saying if I read this. Sure, go ahead. Okay, it says, uh, This sense of love realizes that emotions of the moment and constantly shifting circumstances can cloud the divine spark. Pain, ugliness, and fear can cover it over, turning a person toward anger and hate. It is the ability to see through those layers of ugliness to see further into a person than perhaps that person can see into mm -hmm. himself that is essential to the practice of nonviolence. One method of practicing this approach when faced with a hateful, angry, aggressive, even despicable person is to imagine that person, actually visualize him or her as an infant, as a baby. If you can see this full-grown attacker who faces you as the pure, innocent child that he or she once was, that we all once were, it is not hard to find compassion in your heart. It is not hard to find forgiveness. This is the essence of the nonviolent way of life, which is basically... The capacity to forgive. You know, when I read that, what I thought about is Stephen. Yeah. You know, when Stephen was martyred, that's how he handled the martyrdom. They exactly. he preached, and you know, he preached. He told the truth, and they got so mad. I mean, they and they did Jesus the same way. They got exactly. so mad, and they just started stoning him. And he just told them, you know, I forgive you, and you don't know what you're doing, basically. Like, he had so much 
uh, compassion and mercy. And I truly believe, brother, that we are going into the days of martyrdom in yeah. our lifetime, you know, in America. The right. with the perse- with the persecution increasing. And I actually wrote about this very same thing in my book called The Clarion Call to Unity in the Bride of Christ. And in yeah. that book I was telling them we're gonna have to be like Stephen. We're gonna have to uh, love these people to the death. And do you know how hard that is, sir? Oh, oh yeah. That's, that's, uh, I think you're absolutely on track there as far as the way, you, you know, we view things is that we definitely have to be ready to die for our faith. Uh, the question is, are we ready to kill for it? And uh, that's, you know, the essence of nonviolence. I, I think it really has to start in each uh, believer's heart. It's not something that we can, you know, suddenly rally together and say, oh, we're all going to get together and, you know, stand up against the enemy uh, and and lay down our lives. I think each person has to come to that uh, kind of on their own. And and studying about love and forgiveness is, of course, a good place to start. Uh, A good example of just what you're talking about, uh, years ago I was working in a soup kitchen, and, uh, of course, I always uh, told the truth and, and you know, preached about Jesus Christ uh, no matter what. And uh, a big guy came in the door, and and he finally had enough of hearing about Jesus, and he came up and and tried to hit me. And, you know, at that point, uh, you know, I would have been fully uh, justified in in hitting back or striking back or defending myself or in some way doing something different. Uh, But instead, I I just started uh, talking to him in a a love language of, you know, Jesus loves you, he loves us both, you know, there's no reason for this. And all of a sudden, he just broke down and started crying in my arms. And uh, the story he told me uh, is very much uh, still kind of touches me today, is when he was a little kid, uh, he and his brother were racing down a hill in uh, New Mexico, and they jumped over an irrigation ditch into the road, and his brother was hit and killed by a truck. And when he got oh, home, and, and when we when he got home, his dad said, "Well, that was the wrong brother that got killed. He, he should have been the one." And he'd been carrying that around, you know, all his life, and and no one had ever listened to his story. So, you know, if I'd have retaliated in a, in a physical sense, in a violent way we would have never gotten to the truth about that, right? And 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 yeah. yet doing it this way, I was able to pierce him in his heart, you know, and and get the truth of his story instead of, uh, you know, instead of just defending myself. So that's at the very essence of what I'm talking about. And I think we see the same thing uh, when we look at the story of Jim Elliott. You're familiar with the going down to the jungles of Amazon and being martyred uh, by the uh, natives. And then uh, their, his, his and the other families came in and, and ministered to the natives, and they, they all ended up coming to Christ. And so, again, if he'd have taken that opportunity to gun them all down, uh, there wouldn't have been anybody to minister to. So I think that's a dilemma that Christians are faced with, is how do we fight evil without becoming evil ourselves? Uh, how do you deal with these problems without becoming part of the problem? Well, let me tell you, I I have some minister friends that uh, were missionaries in Egypt. Right. And 
they said that there is a huge revival going on in Egypt because uh, as the Muslims kill the Christians, the Christians are winning them by love. There you they're go. Not being, yeah, they're not being angry. They're not retaliating. They're uh, just writing on their churches like she was talking about how they went in there and slaughtered a bunch of them while they was having service. And some of the family members just went on the outside of the building and wrote, uh, we forgive you. And wow. in their family's blood, in their family's blood. Mm-hmm. And they said, we forgive you. And because of that, a lot of them are getting saved, you know, by the thousands. Yes. And so God help us in this hour to have more love. Amen. I agree with that. And, and you know, it's easier, I guess it's easier for us to kind of point to situations you know, outside our own country and say, well, see what's happening in Egypt, see what's happening in Peru yeah. or Brazil or whatever. But I think, as you said, there there is a time coming when we're going to be tested that way. And uh, we, sure. we already have seen some persecution, uh, kind of low-level stuff, you know, where we've been put out of uh, uh, soup kitchens and stuff just for talking about Jesus, just for wanting to pray before a meal and so on. And so that's coming, and I think, um, you know, the church, uh, again, needs to kind of address, well, where are we coming from? Uh, I think in this age of mass shootings, you know, as we see all over the country, it's almost like one every day, if not even more than one every day. Uh, some churches I know are are choosing to arm themselves and say, well, we'll shoot back if anybody comes in here. Well, what kind of message are we sending to the world? Then you're free to come in here, but you know if you don't, you know, act the way we think you should, we'll shoot you down. That's an extreme example, I know, but but I think you know we need to consider that if if we're part of the violence, then we're just uh, perpetrating more violence, you know, adding to the violence that's already in existence in the world. Uh, so again, it, it's up to each individual. Uh, person to kind of come to that understanding that we might be willing to die for something, uh, well, for our Savior, uh, as opposed to to killing. But uh, that's, uh, I know that's a different part of the Bride of Christ that (laughs) most people aren't talking about right now, but that's where we're... (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that our country, you know, we need to be uh, wise about the hour that we're living in. We need to uh, have it set in our heart that we will not bow to Bell in this hour and that we will die for his name if it so requires. I believe that with the persecution that's coming, uh, especially with like a lot of the stuff that I've been exposing about what's coming down the pike, uh, the Christians are going to have to be ready to uh, not deny him, you know, yeah. and stand up for him in this hour. Now, I'm looking yeah. at one of your articles on your Facebook page. It's called Prepare with Community. Yes. And then, do you, do you mind if I read this? Please do. Okay, this was written by him on August 7th. This is a recent article. Prepare for an uncertain... It may be better if you read it. Do you want to pull it up and read it or what? Why don't you go ahead? I don't I don't have my Facebook up. And 
would take me a minute. So why don't you go ahead and read okay, part yes. of it? Okay. We are raising some chickens. Yes, we are raising. <laughs> we are growing alfalfa to feed the chickens. If we can no longer buy feed. Yes, we have fruit trees. Yes, we have been walking our acre. As individuals and as a family, we have been preparing for an uncertain future. Greenhouse, comfrey, composting, water filtration options. But really, we are trying to do, what we are trying to do is build resilience in our personal lives. Preppers live in fear. But is that enough? Only if we believe we are alone on the planet, and I know many who think just that. They are stockpiling guns and ammunition. They are ready to shoot anyone who steps foot on their property. They will protect what they have at all costs. I feel sorry for them. They are already bitter, angry, lonely people. Fear reigns supreme in their lives. I can only think that we'll grow worse if and when we are confronted with an economic crisis. Jesus Christ leads us to community. He himself lived in a community with 12 disciples. The New Testament church was nothing if not one extended family or community network together in a way that encouraged and sustained everyone. So while I have a novel coming out in less than a month, I have been spending a great deal of my time trying to build community in our town, one person at a time, starting with a citywide eldership. Every congregation and every denomination, it seems, has their own notion about leadership and who those leaders are. But in the Bible, it is clear about who the elders are to be, see Titus and 1 Timothy. It is also clear about what they are to do, to pray, study the Bible, teach sound doctrine, oversee the body, and anoint for healing. Further, if we dig a little deeper, we find in Ephesians chapter 4 that those who have the ministry giftings of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher are to be equipping the saints, that's every believer, for the work of the ministry. Boy, have we missed the mark on that one. Then too, there are to be deacons. These are not the ones who hand out the bulletins and direct traffic in the parking lot and change diapers in the nursery or who fix the roof and sweep the floors. No, these are the ones who carry out the work of the church, caring for the widows and orphans, helping the poor, older women teaching the younger. I have been beating the bushes to find the true deacons in our town as well. I bet you have. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Well, thanks for getting that. Yeah, that opens up another whole avenue. Uh, Much of what uh, you just read also is uh, reflected in in my novel, uh, Those Who Dwell Upon the Earth. Um, My wife and I both believe that uh, theology has to work in the real world, and we kind of always have believed that. So it's not just a point of discussion, but if it's in the Bible, then why aren't we living it that way? And I think in, uh, especially in, in Titus, uh, one five, we see that Titus is commissioned to to go into uh, the island of Crete and appoint elders in every city. So it doesn't say, well, you're supposed to go and 
and you know find 20 different churches in a city and each one has its own elders and its own deacons or whatever uh it, it sounds very much like a citywide uh project if you will and uh, of yeah. course as I, as i said there that uh, in titus and timothy we can very first timothy we can very clearly see the the qualities and characteristics of elders and deacons I think the main difference between elders and deacons is that elders are called upon to teach, where the deacons are more of the hands-on, get-it-done kind of people. Um, and um, they are. They're the work. They're the worker bees. Yeah. Hey, I want to tell you something. Sure. I've got one of the viewers right now that uh, had a comment about what me and you are saying about the nonviolence. You ready? Sure. She says, okay, she says, I disagree, sort of. If, if, evil think, if evil thinks you are a gun-free zone, you are a sitting duck. And my stackable, <laughs> this is funny, and my stackable chair at church isn't going to stop a bullet. And OQ <laughs> made a stackable chair, no way. So what would you say to her? Well, uh. I, I myself uh, was trained as an infantry soldier. You know, I spent six years in the Army. I I know all of the ins and outs, the dynamics of violence. And uh, at one time, I, I was very much in favor of using violent methods to solve problems because it's better than doing nothing. So if you're going to sit back and do nothing or act in a cowardly way, then violence may be the only way open. You see what I'm saying? Uh, if, yeah. If there's a choice between doing nothing and being violent, I would choose violence, and I, I use that advisedly because obviously I've changed and found a different way. Uh, but I had to outgrow that thinking when I got into ministry myself, and I saw that uh, violence uh, – you know the the world of the homeless and the poor and the and the addicted is a very violent world, and what my wife and I found is if we set up Christian community right in the center of it, uh, we began to bring the light into the darkness, and we began to see the miracles that happen when you bring light into the darkness, and we wanted to see more of that. And what we found is that uh, if we brought violence of our own into the situation it would not improve anything. It would only cause more trouble. Uh, so, you know, what we had to do is kind of model ourselves on the way Jesus uh, acted in the world. Uh, we don't see him lifting a finger to defend himself, and, and yet we know that, you know, the whole heavenly host could have shown up and, and kept him from going to the cross, yet right. he willing, willingly gave, down, gave his life for us. And if we are to act in the same way, um, we ourselves would see uh, huge miracles in the world. Uh, so All right, James, we're going to have to take a little break, and we'll be right back. That would be great. Thank you. Hello, Brian. Are you a writer, or do you have a story to tell and maybe you need a little help with your writing? Well, go to Treehouse Publishers today. We can help you achieve your dream. Dreams come true in our house. Do you have a book just waiting in your spirit to come out and share with the world? 
Well, Treehouse Publishers will help you to achieve your dream. Write that book today. Sell your book in London, in Africa, and many other countries. Let your tree bear much fruit with Treehouse today. Go to www.gotreehouse.org. Washington, D.C. Our website, you can find out more about us at watbradio.com. We also do television at watb.tv. Also, we are on Twitter and we are on uh, Instagram. So, Twitter and Facebook and our website. Check us out. All right, we are back tonight with author James D. Sanderson. Now, sir, I would like to ask you for all of the authors out there or future authors, people that want to write a book, what advice would you give them about being a writer? I would uh, I would say that that is a huge undertaking, and uh, I think a lot of people go into it lightly, and, and uh, I think it's going to require a lot of time and, and effort, and if you, uh, you know, love to read and you just have to write, then, of course, right that that's what you do um but i think if somebody just thinks well i'm going to get into this and make some quick money well they might be sadly mistaken i think uh if the spirit that is, is that's right. yeah. <laughs> i think if the spirit is moving you uh that you have something that you just have to write then of course you must write it uh, but otherwise yeah. don't don't go into it lightly that would be my main advice well let me ask you this do you do yours uh like an outline first or do you just sit down and just write or what is your process of writing a book kind of both i I start out with an outline in mind uh, but usually it gets out of control and then it kind of takes over and my subconscious i guess you'd call it uh kind of helps me write things and and i sometimes i'm astonished that it doesn't seem like something that i would have written myself but here it is you know uh, so you might even yeah. say that the Holy Spirit is directing some of that. Um, yeah. But it, it's always been a, a, something that I've just had to do. I just, uh, even as a kid, I didn't feel like I could express myself very well in words. Um, I've, I've kind of overcome that in, you know, having to be in ministry and so on. You kind of have to be able to express yourself. But, <laughs> but as a kid, I yeah. really was more introverted and I just felt like writing was the only way I could really uh, say who I was or what I was about, you know. Yeah. Well, what about writers that get into what I call rabbit holes where they they cannot stop writing? It's like they can never find an end. They'll, oh, they'll get well, finished yeah. and they'll say, Oh, I gotta add this chapter. I gotta do this. I gotta add this. How do you how do you advise them to stop? <laughs> I I think that's the hardest part is the editing part of it. It uh, is. You have, you have to go in and just decide what is really most important, and ultimately, what am I trying to say? You know, and uh, so so I always kind of have the ending of my book in mind before I set out. Otherwise, I think yeah. I would write. You know. 10,000 pages or something, but uh, <laughs> I think we yeah. have to be able to stop ourselves at some point, and uh, I think uh, 
the uh, the process of writing is is very much. Uh, I, I think it was George Lucas of the Star Wars films that said, uh, "You don't necessarily come to an end; you just have to abandon the project at some point." <laughs> and I always kind of like that. It, it's that like, is the truth. That <laughs> is the truth. So at some point, you just have to say, "All right, that's as good as it's going to get," and I just have to go forward from here. You know. <laughs> So. Yeah. Well, that is true, especially us that are Christian writers. I've written seven books. Well, I've actually written eleven, but I've published Goodness. seven. I got, I've got <laughs> four prolific. that are on hold. So thank okay, you. Yeah. I've got four that are on hold there, and there it's actually a quadruple set. They're all four together. But anyways, the point is, yeah. uh, the thing about that I have found about writing is. Uh, I have given away more books than I've sold. Yeah. And I, the Lord has used them tremendously as a witnessing tool, especially my testimony book. And then when I try to teach somebody something, I'll just give them the book, you know? Yeah. And that's very much, I mean, the ending of my uh, novel, uh, those who dwell upon the earth is very much a, a call to follow Jesus, and I think you uh, know, it's like the whole book is kind of a witness. You know that if you see any truth in this at all, you know maybe you would try this way in your life. You know, and so uh, in that way, I, I think you know all writing should should point to Jesus, and and uh, you know just that should be the point that we're you know shooting for or pointing at. Right, right. Well, uh, would you have any more advice for writers before we pray? I would say just keep writing. I've got another book, another novel coming out in January called The Struggle, and it's uh, very much about um, a, a, a revolutionary war going on in Eastern Europe. Uh, in you know unspecified country, uh, so it's a love story and a story of war, but also a story of of choosing a different way, as as we've talked about throughout the whole broadcast here, and so that uh, you know that is just part of the process is just going forward and continue writing and and doing your very best and and then getting it out there and then getting on to the next one because you always need to be looking for your masterpiece, I think. You know? That is true. And it's very true what you said about it's very important, the motives of why you write. That is very important because if you don't mind, sir, I know this is your show, but I would love to give a revelation of what God gave me about writing. Do so, The Lord showed me, okay, the Lord showed me, okay, we're all trees in God's great garden. Mm -hmm. You know, we are trees of righteousness. Planted by the rivers, you know, that's the way he talks about it. Okay, so we are living trees, and then when God downloads a seed into our tree, it's like we're pregnant with a book. And then whether we cultivate that book or not is where the danger comes in, because some people will die pregnant and never publish that book. And the sad thing is, is that book was a seed meant to be born and birthed into the earth as a tree. When you work that book, 
that seed and it's birthed out, tell me or not, that does it not feel like you are giving birth when you finally publish it? it uh, well, absolutely. Right? I think uh, this uh, the book that I'm talking about now, the Those Who Dwell Upon the Earth, was actually, uh, it's been in the process of being published for nine months now because I started the 1st of January. So that's uh, pretty appropriate exactly. to your uh, <laughs> to your revelation there. Yes, because when you give birth, that book is born into a tree. It's made out of a tree. Yeah. So now right. your seed, your seed is birthed into another tree, and your tree of your revelation that you received from God, which was birthed by the rivers of living water, is now being spread to other trees in the garden. Isn't mm-hmm. that beautiful? Yes. Because we know we know that most people, when they read our books, they share them, and we yes. don't. We want them to share them. We want them. We want other trees in the garden to receive of our seed, and and what an honor that is. I mean, that when you're an author, that is a legacy within itself. Yes. Because you are leave, you're leaving a tree that you birthed out. Basically, and I've always found that fascinating about writing and and reading is that uh, you know we can cross over history and and look at what happened back in the 1800s or the 1700s or yes. even back to the time of Christ. If we look at the Gospel of Luke or Mark, uh, you know that it's transcending history really, and we're able to uh, find the thoughts and and concerns of people you know all through history that way. And we can just be a small part of that, you know, progression of uh, of ideas and thoughts going forward. That is a good way to put it. And something else I just thought of is, for me, being that my ministry, my education, and my life is media, this is what I was trained in in college, I feel like I am a, a prophetic scribe because yeah. I'm, document, I'm documenting God. I'm documenting him through radio. I'm documenting him through writing. I'm documenting him through video, through sound, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if any of you out there listening, and we have viewers and listeners all over the world, if you are listening and you have it in your heart to write a book, I really, really encourage you tonight to not die pregnant. Because I can let me give you a let me give you a few scenarios. I know of a woman that had a book in her heart about the financial blessings of God and obedience. Oh yeah. And then the, when she was ready to publish it, the enemy come after her with the very subject of what she was writing on, and she never published the book. Oh goodness. The enemy wants to steal that seed. Yes, he, he wants does. to stop that seed from being birthed. I'm telling you out there, if you have a seed of a book and you just have this gnawing, I've got to write a book, I've got to write a book, that is God telling you, write a book. <laughs> and then there's a lot of people out there that can help you. I mean, I didn't know a thing about what I was doing. You probably did, sir. Well, not, I mean, I do now, but, you know, we all have to start somewhere. So, you know, that's just ah, the beginning. The starting of it is the important part, you know. 
good point, yes. Well, all right, sir. Well, let me pray for you. We always ask the bride across the world to come together in agreement for this altar, and this is what we're going to do right now. Lord, we just lift up our brother right now, Mr. James Sanderson, and, Lord, we pray for him tonight. That you would be with him, Lord, on these other books that he's writing. Bless those seeds so that he can give birth. And that you would help him to release the prophetic revelation that is to be released in those books. Lord, I pray that you give him creative ways on how to sell that book or how to get that book out there. Creative ways through technology, through stories, through events. Uh, and, Lord, I pray that you expand his territory, Lord. Yes. Lord, whatever it is that you have called him to do, Lord, we are asking and partnering with heaven for you to bless him. Lord, give him what he needs, money, uh, intercessors, whatever it is, to accomplish his mission, Lord. We pray that you bless him in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, sir, would you mind yes. praying for any author out there that, uh, is considering writing. Uh, you want me to pray for them? Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. yes. Uh, uh, dear Lord, we do uh, just ask that you would uh, encourage uh, those authors out there that are looking to write a book uh, or are in the process of writing a book, Lord, keep them encouraged, lifted up, Lord, that they might uh, keep their eyes on you through this whole thing, that it not uh, not become about them or their own uh, their own work, the work they're putting into it, Lord, but that they would just keep their eyes focused on you and that you would guide them through, Lord. Uh, we just ask uh, that if there are any uh, who are within the sound of my voice who do not know you through your son, Jesus Christ, that they would take a moment now to, to just pray for that, that they would become followers of you, Lord, and that the, the, the many uh, fruits of, that uh, the Lord has for them in their life would become uh, evident in their lives, and that they would live out, live out your calling in their lives, Lord. I just thank you so much for all the many blessings you bestow upon us as your followers, your you know believers in you, Lord. And uh, we just pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. Amen, sir. I am so happy to have interviewed you tonight. I pray that you have a wonderful evening, sir. God bless you. God bless you, and thank you very much oh, for the opportunity. Oh, wait a minute. Tell them your website again. I'm sorry. Uh, it's James D. Sanderson at, uh, or sorry, jamesdsanderson.blogspot.com is where most of my writing is. And is that where they can buy your books, or are they on Amazon or what? It's on Amazon, yes. They can type in author name or the name of the book. Uh, this one is uh, Those Who Dwell Upon the Earth. Uh, and the other ones will come up at the same time. Well, I'm going to look it up right now as we're talking. Those who dwell on the earth, Sanderson. Yep, that should get it. There it is. <laughs> All right, Brian, there he is. Okay, so yes, you can get that on... Amazon, there it is, right there, twelve ninety nine. Yep, and that's the paperback version. It's also on Kindle, so those who have Kindle. Yes, 
I see now why we was talking about the community because of what you've got written here about what your book is about. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yep, I think we need each other. Yes, amen. Well, you have a good evening, sir, and God bless you. Thank you, and God bless you. All right, bye-bye. Bye now.